Oh, look out. Dennis Stewart is here. Health Naturally, the name of the game. And, but big congratulations, by the way. You, your family has grown by one. It has indeed. I am now a proud great-grandfather. Um, I have two great-grandchildren, but uh, my last or the latest one is, um, <laughs> is Leonardo Leslie Stewart. And Good stuff. I, I'm told he looks just like me. So what, what, what future's he got, Mark? Oh, no, no. Maybe from the eyebrows up, same amount of hair for, in that part. Anyway, look, look a herbalist in, in training, don't well, you worry. I think so. Look, uh, Dennis, into the main game, of course, in health, naturally it is. And look, over the last couple of months, I have noticed that quite a lot you've been talking about uh, some of the medicinal herbs that can be used as water-based preparations, so yes. infusions, etc., etc. Yes. Um, advantages of such yeah. such a preparation today. Look, there's method in my madness for wanting to take this topic up again because I think because herbal medicine has become so modern, and there are so many modern herbal medicine products on the marketplace, we're in danger of losing the simplicity of using medicinal herbs. Medicinal herbs have always, over thousands of years, been a simple preparation, usually water-based. And uh, still, some of the best preparations that I use are essentially infusions or decoctions. By the way, an infusion is a herbal tea. A decoction is a preparation where the herb is boiled. But essentially, what we're doing is extracting the medicinal components of the herb with water, boiling water um, or hot water to get the actives from the herb into solution so that they can be taken conveniently. Now, uh, one of the great advantages of encouraging people uh, to see that one can use a herb in a less expensive way and uh, use it as a simple herbal tea is the cost factor. If, If one is becoming a manufacturer themselves by making the herbal preparation, that considerably reduces the cost of using a herb for medicinal purposes. Not always can you do it, but very frequently you can. All right, we'll get into all of that. And uh, for the normal people around, essentially what all of that means, Dennis, for the infusion is take the best bits and turn it into a hot, tasty beverage. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) It's it's close. (laughs) Good afternoon, Edith at Newcastle East. Top of the spine, not doing so great for you today, Edith. No, I was diagnosed, I was uh, referred to a neurologist last year uh, because the doctor thought it may be carpal tunnel syndrome. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I've been told I have compressed nerves at the top of the spine, C5, 6, 7, and 6 and 7, and that it would get progressively worse, which it has, and there is nothing they can do about it except medication to try and ease it. Okay. Uh, Edith, is the medication easing it for you? Well, it did for a few... It lasts for a few months, and then it's nothing. And uh, then I was referred to a rheumatologist. Yes. Uh, He thought it may be peripheral neuropathy. Yes. He sent a referral through to the Royal Newcastle Diagnostic Centre. Yes. Waited seven months for that, and then he has also said that had it been one or two nerves, they may have been able to do something, mm-hmm. but with them being so many, there is nothing they can do. 
Okay. And it's once again, it's everything's getting progressively worse. Oh dear, dear. So the doctor now, I'm taking three times the amount of medication that was first prescribed, and that is wearing off. Okay. Look, Edith, obviously you've seen the best people about this condition, and I have no uh, amazing solution, but I can perhaps offer you uh, something that would be worthwhile trying to at least cope with some of the pain. And what I would and first run it past uh, your medical managers, but those of us that know something about the active principle of the herb capsicum know that the substance called the oleoresin component of capsicum, when topically applied, can sometimes be remarkably sedative for neurological pain. That is a fairly well-known feature. So what I'm suggesting is that uh, a topical application, a topical application that is something applied to the area that's generating the, the neurological pain, based on, on uh, the oleoresin of capsicum, may be useful as a means of quietening down the discomfort. That's something that uh, uh, you could run past your medical people. I would be happy to provide uh, information uh, to you to, uh, and to pass on to your medical managers uh, and mention a preparation that I have used myself uh, for very significant nerve pain years ago when I had a so-called slip disc. So uh, what am I saying? I'm saying that I haven't got anything that I would suggest you take because you're already taking fairly heavy stuff. I'm saying that there might be something that is in herbal medicine, particularly the active principles of the herb capsicum anum, the oleoresin of it, has a, a neurological benefit in some cases in quietening down the generation of pain. That's the best I can do for you, Edith. Oh, so it's sorry, it's capsicum. Capsicum, C A P S I C U M. Yes. Capsicum. It contains what's called an oleoresin. O L E O dash R E S I N. Now that oleoresin component has a sedative effect to a degree on neurological discomfort, and that's fairly well known. Um, if you if you're interested in pursuing it. Um, I would be happy in providing the information to you, but run it past those that are managing you first to, to get their opinion uh, for them to, to monitor it. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Edith, and, and best of luck with that. A lot going on there, Dennis, so uh, yes, hopefully uh, we can you know, yeah, get yeah, Edith on yeah, the right yeah, track there. Yeah, yeah. All right, heading to Mount Hutton now, and Anne, um, you, you're not able to get any rest day or night. The phlegm's just hitting you there. Exactly. It just seems to be this winter. Okay. that I'm suffering with it really bad, okay. day and night. Now, do you get much post-nasal drip with it, Anne? Uh, yes, I'm blowing my nose too, uh, yes. And have, have you a cough associated with it? No, no cough, no, no okay. sore throat or anything. And did it, did it come on subsequent to a bad cold? No, no cold, no bad cold, it, no, it, no cold at all. And the, the, the phlegm, as you called it, um, is. do you think it's coming from the... From the, from the sinuses, the upper respiratory tract? Yeah, it seems to drip down. That's what I'm talking about, post-nasal yeah. drip. Look, I would suggest a couple of things here. Fortunately, they're, they're easily accessed. And uh, yesterday in my rooms at New Lambton, I saw one gentleman who's done brilliantly with this condition, a chronic uh, 
upper respiratory tract problem, production of phlegm, which was causing him um, to uh, gurgle, if you like, all the time when he was talking and, uh, and also to, to have a cough with it. Um, I recommended to him a simple procedure. Um, there, there is a herb that I use and frequently recommend, uh, the great American herb, in fact, the, the bulwark of Western herbalism is an American herb called golden seal. Now, golden seal is renowned in our profession for addressing um, mucousy conditions of the respiratory system, upper and lower. And uh, it's available in an encapsulated form or a liquid form, a very good starting base for chronic uh, mucus secretory activity, uh, constant phlegm, as you put it. On the other hand, uh, there is a, a supportive nutritional substance called bromelain. Now, bromelain is an enzyme that's extracted from pineapple, believe it or not, and it's, it, it accompanies many preparations, particularly uh, so-called bioflavonoids. Uh, bromelain itself has a particular ability to address low-grade uh, sinusy catarrhal conditions of the upper respiratory tract, which then problem the condition by developing into a post-nasal secretory activity. So I would be suggesting as a starting base, as a starting base, go down the pathway of uh, an encapsulated preparation, say of golden seal, reinforced by some bromelain in a capsule form, uh, try that, and also, and this is a, a lovely little appendage, uh, in natural medicine, there's a very old, old system of um, supplements known as the tissue salts, the tissue salts. Um, these were developed by an Austrian physician called Dr. Schussler. And the, t the tissue salts, one of them is called Kalimur, K-A-L-I, full stop, M-U-R, Kalimur, with a 6X beside it. 6X is its potency. Now, I know this sounds very esoteric. It really isn't. It's just a, a, a way of referring to a remedy from that system uh, that in a very, very dilute form, uh, almost a homeopathic form, has a reputation for drying up catarrhal conditions, particularly of the sinuses, the upper respiratory tract. I would suggest those things are probably the cheapest supplement available in, in, the, in the health network. So I would suggest that that's worthwhile giving a go. Uh, that is not an expensive procedure. Very safe, in my opinion. I'd be surprised if it didn't do something for you, Anne. How do you spell the tissue salts? Uh, Kaylee, K-A-L-I, Kaylee, then yes. M-U-R. M-U-R, it's, it's, it's Latin for potassium chloride. But in the profession and in the history of Schuster's tissue salts, it's always known as Kaylee Murr with a 6X beside it. Now, what I would suggest to all listeners, try to get hold of it. It's readily available from health food stores and pharmacies and naturopathic practices. Get, a little, get, get hold of the little handbook on the 12 tissue salts. They are brilliant. They are brilliant. Uh, when I say brilliant, they are a simple rendition of simple remedies that are very safe uh, and particularly useful uh, for chronic conditions. And I had the privilege a number of years ago of being given uh, a very old edition of the tissue salts by an elderly lady 
in Newcastle that came to see me as a patient at New Lambton who gave me a little of the, her husband's book on the tissue salts, which were precious to them both, particularly when he was alive, because by using magnesium phosphate in that system, it resolved his sciatica. So I have a copy of that little book, which is a treasure. I'm suggesting uh, to you, Pat, that in getting hold of Kaylee Murr, also get the little handbook, uh, cheap as dirt, which will give you an understanding of what the 12 remedies do and particularly fill you in on the one I've mentioned. All right, best of luck, Anne. And uh, Dennis, nice to see you using a little bit of your Latin there as well. Oh, I'm well, well, well versed in Latin. <laughs> a couple of small words I noticed, though. Yeah, very small. Pat from East Maitland, you did uh, that very thing last week with your migraines. What's happening? Well, I hello, Dennis. Hello, Pat. I got the fever for you. Good. And you told me to take one tablet. Yes. How long will I take that for? Because on the bottle it says to take two. Okay. The What I always suggest to people, particularly those of us that are getting on a bit, Pat, I suggest um, you, like me, are not a teenager. So, no, I'm not. <laughs> as we, as we... Mate, she's in her 30s, all right? Oh, okay. Let her go. All right. Well, um, uh, when, uh, dosage has a lot to do with the build of the person, the age of the person. So despite what frequently is on the label, uh, to elderly people I suggest starting at a lower dose and particularly with this herb, feverfew, uh, that lessens the likelihood of that very, very unusual um, and rarely experienced side effect of tingly, etc., in the mouth. I think if I were you, I'd persevere with the one capsule a day until you tested it to see if it was able to offer any uh, help in the condition. If, if it's not doing that, well, then go up to the, uh, to the dosage recommended on the label. By the way, that is still uh, a, low prep, a low dose, in, the, in, the, in, in my opinion, in the scheme of dosage for this particular herb. Look, of all the herbs I've used, Pat, and have recommended, particularly at the over-the-counter levels, Fever View has, has, has come up pretty well. No, no remedy, and you would appreciate this, Pat, no remedy works for everyone. That's, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals, I suggest, uh, is the same. But with Fever View, generally speaking, it, uh, it gives some good result in the migraine. And uh, there's a, a fair amount of, of what we call pharmacological evidence, that is a, a, a scientific a clinical evidence to su suggest how it works and what it does. I'd give it a go at the lower dose a bit longer. Well, I've asked my doctor. Yes. And he said, go ahead with it. And also, rosemary tea, you can't buy it anywhere in Inch Maitland. Rosemary? You've got to be joking. Rosemary? Yes. Have you Have you been to... To a to a supermarket, and yes, supermarket help help shop. They don't have it. Okay, if you can't get it as a tea, you should be able to get it as a capsule. Oh right, yeah. Now, if if you can't get either of them, you contact my rooms and I'll make sure that you get it. Oh, thanks, Dennis. Because I asked my doctor and it said it's very good for your memory. It is too, because you, you, you would know that the phrase rosemary for remembrance. Well, yes. really, um, it's rosemary for memory. 
that's the, that's how that term remembrance came about, in my opinion. It's yeah. lovely to see it being used yeah. on Anzac Day and, and things like that. Yeah. But it's the, the herb has the, the recommendation uh, in folk medicine and to a degree in modern herbal medicine as being useful for a faltering memory. Right, thank you, Dennis. Okay, Pat. Yeah, as I say, if you have trouble, let me know because I'd be surprised if you couldn't get uh, some rosemary around the place. All right, all the best uh, for you, Pat, and uh, rosemary. That maybe that's what I need, Dennis. Do you think? Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, maybe. I, f- I forgot your name. Chuck. <laughs> and what was that? That first one you mentioned, uh, Fever View. Fever View. Yeah, it to me that sounds like a um, a property. That's someone's property. I live at, or maybe a health retreat. Fever view. Oh, fever view. I okay. don't know why. You, just have, you have a very uh, vivid imagi- imagination this morning, Mark. <laughs> I just thought it's a, it's a property in the country somewhere, you know? That's what well, it I, like. have a, I have a, a property in, in the country, as you know. Yeah. It's not fever view. Still uh, waiting for the dinner invite, by the way. It hasn't happened yet. Has not it? yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but good to hear, Dennis. Are you, are you adding to that? No, we're good. Oh, you're good, yeah. We're good? Absolutely. All right, we'll, we'll push on. We'll right. soldier on. One of the things that you have um, actually been reminding me of is that we're back into the herbal side of things here, that you're one of the first to encourage a serious consideration of the Java kidney tea. Yes. Um, and you'd like to expand a little bit on yes. the virtues of said tea today. Well, before we look at its virtues, this reinforces what I said at the beginning of the program, Mark, that herbal medicine is traditionally administered in a water-based form as a tea. And in most countries other than the Western world, herbs are still utilised in this way. A good example is the herb Java kidney tea. Fascinating herb. Botanically, it's known as orthosiphon stamineus. Now, how about that, eh? How about that? But we'll call it Java kidney tea. Java kidney tea grows all around Southeast Asia, and interestingly, it grows in the northern parts of Australia. I did a a seminar last year on Australian Indigenous herbs, and in preparing for it, I was surprised to see that this herb was not just a Southeast Asian herb, but in fact was Indigenous to Australia. That was very encouraging. But the herb came into its own uh, when... Uh, the, the the Dutch um, or in control of Indonesia, and there the herb was known as Kumis Kuching, and the, the the Dutch, which were there for quite a few hundred years, noted that this herb was confidently used by the indigenous population to address many pathologies or kidneys kidney problems with great success. With great success, interestingly, it was so successful and so taken on board by the white uh, settlers or colonisers, that it actually was translated to Europe, where it's called up now, in various European pharmacopoeias. So the credibility of the herb was established by the local population over many, many hundreds of years, known as Kumis Kuching, but was taken up, investigated and incorporated into medical references in Europe. Here we go again. Every time I'm on this programme, I promote the way in which European culture, uh, European civilization, European settlement has uh, had had the great advantage of uh, exploiting, explaining, uh, utilizing and documented some of the remedies, particularly the folk remedies from around the world. 
Now, this uh, herb, I, I think I'd probably be one of the few. Uh, I think I'm confident in saying this. I would be one of the few in, in Australia, probably in the English-speaking world, and I have great regard, as you know, for, for English herbalists and, and uh, an American herbalists, but I would think I would be the first to have incorporated this herb into helping people with kidney problems. And you might say, well, look, that's a pretty heavy call because uh, surely those people are being managed by specialists. In most cases, yes. Many of them being monitored by GPs uh, where their regular blood tests uh, are looking for a stabilisation uh, of uh, the FGR marker, which indicates uh, whether the kidney is stable in its decline or whether it's further declining and in many cases leading the patient towards a dialysis scenario. What I did in, in, in quite an outstanding case was help a lady from the coalfields who was actually being lined up uh, for dialysis, such was the low level of kidney function that she had. And by uh, suggesting that she used Java kidney tea, now it was just a simple tea of the dried herb, and I still think this is probably the best way of using it, and that's why I stock it. By going on to the Java kidney tea, I saw the uh, I see the the dear lady occasionally when she will bring in her, her latest blood test and show me, and probably the scones to go with the tea uh, too. Probably maybe. from the coal fields, I'd <laughs> expect that. But I think it's about six years since this dear lady might be a bit longer uh, has been using the Java kidney tea. And during that period of time, her kidney has been remarkably stable and, in fact, has moved away from a low level that would normally lead to dialysis to a situation where, being monitored by her medical managers, she is stable with no talk at this stage of dialysis being looked at. Now, that is a pretty... In other words, this justifies uh, what Dr Rudolf Weiss in his text... German again, European, great chronicler of medicinal herbs, when he talks about it being used essentially for the failing kidney. And that's the, the terminology that I promote. Now, I know this would be eyebrowed by, by a lot of the specialists out there who, who say, oh, no, no, no credibility. All I ask, all I ask is please go to the literature. You'll find it is very impressive, a lot of evidence to support at least... Uh, a go at giving it. It's a harmless herb, nothing to lose for someone who was really going downhill with their kidney function. Ah, but there are other things that it can do. It has the ability also to assist the passage of renal calculi or, or kidney stones. Now, admittedly, they would be smaller stones uh, and, and not necessarily operable um, by a specialist. The herb has a benefit in, in being able to achieve that. And the herb also has a benefit in functioning as an antiseptic agent, that is, participating in keeping the urinary system, uh, particularly the bladder and the urinary tract generally, uh, from infection. It fits into remedies that we frequently take up on this program about remedies particularly for the urinary system that function for chronic recurring conditions. So, I pride myself, and I have no problem in using that terminology. It's not an egotistical statement. I pride myself on having suggested 
both from my uh, reading, my lecturing, and my usage of Java kidney tea, orthosiphon stabineus, for practitioners of all ilk, and it should only be seen as a practitioner herb. This is not a herb that uh, needs to be uh, sold uh, over the counter, if you like, without uh, adequate medical understanding of the benefits and the need for the use of the herb to be monitored. But I challenge uh, people to take seriously, those that are medical professionals, in doing a bit of study on this herb, because I would like to think at the, in the closing years of my professional life, it will be seen that I have participated in introducing into Australian medicine, not just herbal medicine, into Australian medicine, credible herbs that are being used credibly by mainstream medical practitioners in other parts of the world that warrant at least consideration in Anglo countries such as Australia. How about that? How about that? That's, that's lots going on there, Dennis. <laughs> Thank you so much. Look, we've been looking at some of those water-based preparations yeah, today, yeah, yeah. teas. There might be a couple of others that you might want us to, to keep yeah, uh, keep on the front yeah, of the fridge today. Very much so. Just as I have extolled the virtues of uh, Java kidney tea, uh, and by the way, uh, just to elaborate a fraction on that for a moment, Java kidney tea is a medicinal herb. It shouldn't be seen as something that can be just picked up from the health food store. This needs to be seen as a medicinal herb prescribed professionally, purchased from someone who knows about it, and with a doctor that can monitor the progress of the herbs that's being taken. Now, we've been talking about this herb for the urinary system, and we're talking about teas and the way in which teas play an important part, even in modern herbal medicine. One that we've mentioned on this program some time ago and which keeps coming up uh, is, the, is the herb buku, B-U-C-H-U. Now, buku is to South African herbalism what Java kidney tea is to the traditional medicine of Southeast Asia. Buku was made famous as a result of European uh, colonisation of South Africa and seeing the way in which this South African herb with its fragrant uh, peppermint uh, odour about it was popularly used to address what we now would see as urinary tract infections. It was so useful and so noticed that it became documented in the British Pharmaceutical Codex. So it's already well documented, not popularly used today or not popularly known today, unfortunately, and at a time when urinary tract infections are still a very dominant part of any practice and where the modern management of it without the antibiotics, etc., in my opinion, is pretty limited, the tea, buku herbal tea, is a potent, well-proven and well-documented herbal remedy for addressing the chronic nature of recurring urinary tract infections. And the other thing, too, with all of these uh, mm. preparations, Dennis, you can almost, I mean, it's not like taking medicine. It's like, it's just something nice to tea. Well, you that's a, the sit whole point. With, sit down with your friends, have a cup of tea, I'll have this one. That's the whole point of it. Folk medicine was very ritualistic. Hmm. It involved people taking things, making their own medications, not depending upon getting a script, popping a pill, paying ever a larger amounts for it. Um, medicine was seen as part of one's life, and folk medicine, on which modern herbal medicine is based, it's basically folk medicine, people making their preparations and confidently taking them. The difference today is we have a lot of clinical history and science to support that history. 
All right, uh, news coming up shortly. After that, Sally Lucas, we're talking travel. But Dennis, I mean, I'll tell you where Sally's going today. Uh, she'll be heading to Tasmania, South I'm there. America, I'm there. and I'm Borneo. There. What do you reckon? Uh, up there, Tasmania, any day, any day, any day. <laughs> All right, well, you listen in on the way home or back to work and uh, write some Book suggestions. Book a seat for to... me, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> right, Sally, get a seat for Dennis. Tasmania, here we go. Dennis, as always, thank you so much for health and actually. We'll mate. get you next Friday, thank right? Oh, Jess, do you want to give us an idea of what's happening next week, or is that too early yet? Uh, I'll surprise you. All right, a bit of a surprise. Later, thanks, Dennis.